Welcome to the podcast for Centerpoint Church. Located in the heart of Concord, New Hampshire, Centerpoint is all about living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus. The message today is a part of that journey, and we are glad to have you join us. Clearly, you can tell they're off to have a very boring time. All right. All right. Good times. Jess, you're awesome. Have a great morning. All righty. Good to be here with you this morning, and uh, we're continuing in this series, and, and, and in this series, it's also coinciding with the launch of something really uh, significant and special in the life of our church. Uh, we've been taking some time over the last, um, it's really even been nine or ten months especially, uh, for, for the church body to, to speak and to really begin to uh, talk together about where is God putting his finger in the life of our church and, and what are some ways that we want to really begin to focus our efforts together and, and see what God's going to do. And it's not just a, a short-term sort of thing. It's actually a three-year initiative that we're launching now. And so there's going to be lots of opportunities throughout this journey to be involved and to keep up to date on things and to celebrate together. Um, but we're, we're launching this initiative off together called Forward Together. And so we are moving forward together in a, in a world that's kind of shaking and disorienting. As a church, we're recalibrating. The body is speaking together and seeking God together. And we've really dialed into to three, of these free, uh, three of these areas um, where we really want to get some traction over these next few years. And one of those is in how we connect together uh, and live together as, as family. So there's the, the F of forward. Another is how we bear witness to the lordship of Jesus, both near and far, uh, in our community, um, in our um, surrounding areas, and around the world. We want to continue to grow in those things to, as we bear witness to Jesus is. So we want to move forward as family together. We want to move forward as witnesses together and we want to move forward as disciples together where we're truly grounded there's there's so much that is shaking and jostling in our world and we want to be grounded and have good strong roots uh, in our faith uh, wherever we're at in our relationship with Jesus the invitation is to follow him and to come uh, and to be with him and to grow in him and so we want to grow as those disciples and so family witnesses and disciples we're moving forward together I'd invite you after the service is done. You've got the signs up top, down below here, out in the, um, in the commons there. You can grab one of these brochures, and this could be a good prompt for you to pray uh, for what's going on in the life of our church. And as you open that up, it's going to talk about those three areas there, even get a little bit more specific. And there's lots of ways for you to be involved. Again, the body has, has spoken and really discerned these things together. The, the elders and the staff have played a role in helping to, to unify around some of those things, and now it's in the hands of a phenomenal uh, team, you. It's in your hands uh, to, for us to move forward together. And so it, it is this thing that we are all in it together. So check out the brochure and uh, you can look at those three things in, in a little bit more detail. And we certainly are asking you to be prayerful about this and, and that God would move in our church and in our community and we would see him do what only he can do. And so uh, be a part of that, even if it is just in prayer. But there's also gonna be opportunity to jump in and, and make it happen uh, too as we partner with God and moving forward together. So brochure can help you do that. You got the QR codes you can scan on your way through if, if that's how you prefer to do that. Um, but we are moving forward together. And so last week we... Uh started with the, the first of a, we're going to take each, um, each of those 
pieces, you know, family, witnesses, and disciples. We're going to take a couple of weeks together during this series. So last week we began talking about what does it mean to be family together. And we saw that this is a really significant thing that, that God is doing through the power of uh, his spirit, that what Christ has done for us, he has drawn us into his family. And, and, and so we are family. It's not just that we are his sons and daughters, but we are now brothers and sisters together as family. And that happens when we are in Christ. And so it is this powerful thing that God does. And, and we considered that together last week. And this week, I want us to take some time and explore scripture, uh, particularly in, in how we can participate with him. Because all of us, all of us in the family have a role in building up and partnering with God as we build up the body, as we build up the family, and in guarding the body, and in guarding the family. And the reason that we do this is because the culture that we create here influences our ability to bring glory to God's name as we draw others to, to join us. You know, one of the things that I think of when I think about family is I think about um, table, like being at the table together. Uh, our families get so harried and hurried and we're all over the place, but, but sometimes when everything aligns just perfectly, we find ourselves sitting around the table together. And as parents, you feel this, particularly if you get into older elementary and teenage years, you find yourself at the table and, and sometimes I feel a little bit surprised, like, oh, wait a minute, where did you all come from? As we sit around the table together. But there, there's something about being at that table together. And, and I remember going back when, when I was a, a teenager, there was a, a family, a Brenda and Larry were um, two, um, they were two adult volunteers in our church's student ministry. And so they were, they were phenomenal. They just invested in us as students. They had four kids of their own. And one of the things, there was a lot of things that were remarkable about them, but one of the things in particular that was really striking for me is they made their home open. Now, most people didn't take them up on that, but I did, maybe even sometimes more than they wished that I would have. Uh, but I only lived a couple of blocks away, and so even before I could drive, I could walk over, I could bike over. Um, and, and they just always welcomed me in. It, it was remarkable. I was a little bit nervous at first, kind of that first time, because they said, you yeah, know, pop on over. And so I'd kind of nervously kind of come into the driveway and then go up to the door and knock, knock, knock. And there they were. Come on in. And there was always something going around the table. They had this bit, like the family of six, so they had this big round table, the lazy Susan in the middle of the thing. And there was always something going on there. So they'd invite me in, we'd play some cards, or we'd have some dessert, or kind of have dinner, kind of whatever was going on. And I remember one time in particular, um, I made my way over there, and I didn't know this till I got there, but as I got there and got up to the door, it was a screen door, the, store, the, the big door was open, um, and, but I walked up there, and it was almost like too late as I realized what was going on, because in my head, I'm going, oh, I don't belong here, because what I heard through the screen door was they were singing happy birthday to, um, to Brenda's dad, Grandpa Brown as he was known, and it was his like 80th birthday or something like that. So they're singing happy birthday to him. And so again, I'm like, oh, right? Because my friend, like, I don't belong here. Like, this is just for family. And so I began to back away. And as I, as I backed, was beginning to back away, um, Brenda kind of looked up and said, Matt, come on in. And so, like, it was his birthday. Like, this is the family thing. This is the, everybody else is supposed to go away, right? It's just us. And, and she's like, no, 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 come, come on in. And so they all kind of scooched around, made a little bit of room at the table, and we started over singing happy birthday to Grandpa Brown. And there was the cake, and then we all shared some cake and some ice cream and that kind of thing. It was just such a remarkable thing for me. 
that they would welcome me into that. Like they were family, like there were things that, that, that were them, for them as family, but it was like they always just had that extra seat at the table. And when I showed up in whatever form I came in, I was welcomed in. And even I went back to visit them, uh, went, back to visit, went back to visit my mother, uh, and uh, while I was in town, I had to stop and, and made some time to have lunch with them. And as we were having lunch together, so I'm an adult, like at this point in my life, I was probably like 45 years old when this happened, all right? So I'm not a kid when this happened. We're having lunch together and uh, talking and catching up and enjoying each other's company, and somebody that they knew was walking by, and they introduced me, and as they introduced me, they said, oh, this is Matt. He's, uh, he's like the son we never had. Um, they were seriously. Like they had just drawn me into that, and even as a 45-year-old man, being welcomed into the reality of family. Uh, what an incredible gift that is. And I think that is one of the things that has shaped my heart for what it means for us to be church family together. Because sometimes we, we approach church family and it's, it's kind of the, more the exclusionary thing where it's like, this is just for family and we do this and we mean family, we just kind of mean each other. And so it's just us and everybody's sitting around the table, we're doing business and that kind of thing. And, and when others come along, sometimes we even have a, sometimes we'll have a, a, an attitude kind of like, why are you here? Oh, okay, okay. Anybody got an extra seat? Any, right? So we're like completely caught off guard that somebody else would come and, and, and be with us. So sometimes family can leave that sort of impression. But I don't think that's what family means when God talks about making us his family. It, it's we're brothers, we're sisters, we're siblings, we're, we're engaging with God together, but we're doing it in a way that there's always that extra, t- extra seat at the table. Oh, oh, you're here. Come on in. Wayne, come on, come on in. You belong here. Come on in, come on in here. Uh, David, Wendy, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. You, be, you belong here. Yep, we got everybody move around a little bit, right? It's that sort of heart, that sort of spirit. But if we're going to be a church that has that extra seat at the table, that welcomes people into what it means to be family, that belongs with us, even if there's pieces of them that are a little bit ragged around the edges and they haven't figured it out, because let's be honest, we're ragged around the edges and we haven't worked things out right, even if we've grown accustomed to pretending a little bit. But so, so even if things aren't quite the way we would want it to, we, we make sure that there's room at the table, there's another seat at the table. Come on in, come be with us. Because together we're with the Father and oh, he is so good. And if we're going to be the kind of family, if we're going to be the kind of church that that says, we got the seat at the table for you, then it means something in how we interact with each other. There's a way that we guard this. There's a way that we build this in partnership with God, empowered by his spirit. There's a way that we do this that cultivates the kind of culture that's healthy, that's strong, that's vibrant, that's joyful, that's good. And that says, come, come sit at the table. Not the second row, but come, sit right at the table. It's big enough for all of us. And that's what we want to explore today. And we're going to look at um, the New Testament book of Ephesians to do this. And so there's uh, the, the main passage we're going to look at, we're going to get to in a minute. I want to, I want to hopscotch our way there a little bit, and, all right, so, so we can do that. So turn, uh, first of all, to Ephesians chapter 3. 
Turn first of all to Ephesians chapter 3. And I want to read just a couple of verses here because um, this passage and another passage are going to give us some context for what we're, we're going to get into and talk about how we shape this kind of community, all right? Because uh, Paul, who wrote Ephesians, inspired by the Spirit, um, and is giving us this authoritative word from God, we want to take it in as he's giving it. And so we want to give ourselves... Uh, some of this context. And so uh, let's look first at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. I got to find it myself here. All right. And so here's here's the writing here, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. His intent, God's intent, his intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Stop for a moment. Think about what's being said here. God's intention in all eternity is that his manifold wisdom revealed in Christ, should be made known through the church. When we talk about the family that extends God's glory, that's what we're talking about. But but notice where it is being made known. It's being made known throughout heaven and earth. It's not just that other people would see us live together in such a way that is unique and be drawn to God by that. It is also how we bear witness to the powers and principalities that Jesus is Lord. God's intention has always been that a people that bears the mark of his grace, that bears his name, should be a people that lives in such a way that the manifold wisdom of God revealed in Christ would be made known in the heavenlies, to the powers and principalities. Let me say it with even a little bit finer point. That the way we live together as family, the way we sit around the table and make sure others join us, the way we live together makes hell shake. Whoa. Well, I kind of thought church was just the thing we showed up to, felt pretty good, got some encouragement, went away in our life. No, the way we gather, the way we live together makes hell shake, bears witness to the lordship of Christ in the heavenlies. Do you think that the powers of hell might come against something like that? Yeah, absolutely it will. And do you know how it does it? The powers of hell come to divide It comes to divide, to separate, to tear apart that which God has brought together empowers by his spirit. Hmm. This is church. This is family and what it means to be here. All right, so let's um, skip forward a little bit here. We're gonna go to chapter four because we ask ourselves the question, if this is what we are supposed to be about and this is what, what, what it looks like for us to be about God's business as his family, bearing witness to his lordship, that the powers and principalities, no, then uh, what would do that? Like, what, what kind of people would do that? What kind of culture would do that? 
Well, Paul writes on in chapter 4. I'm going to look at just verses um, 11 through 16. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, right? So he's gifted the body. God has given and equipped the body, verse 12, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ, us, may be built up until we all reach unity, circle that word, till we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, Right? That's what it means to grow up, to, to, to grow as a disciple, to mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That by how we live together, we're actually growing in unity, and out of that unity, there comes maturity. What does that maturity look like? Verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Doesn't that kind of feel like today? But no longer be infants tossed back and forth. Instead, verse 15, instead speaking the truth in love, circle that, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body... The family, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows, listen, 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 grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What kind of community will bear witness to the lordship of Jesus in heaven and hell, make hell shake even in the heavenlies, giving glory to God? What kind of, it is a body, a family that is mature, that is united, say united. United. That is mature, say say mature. Mature. And built up in Love. love. These are the marks of maturity. These are the marks of maturity of a family that makes hell shake. Unity, maturity. What is maturity? Love. Love. This is the mark of maturity. Sometimes we get maturity so confused in our own minds. Have you ever known somebody that you're like, you're just, your gut to them says, that's a mature person. But then they act in a way that you're like, Oh, that didn't seem right. And you might say to yourself, I thought they were mature. But what we're experiencing is that they had matured. And so um, knowing good theology, that, that's, a, that's a good thing. But it isn't the primary mark of what's happening here. If our theology, if our doctrine isn't producing unity, maturity in love, then, then we're doing it wrong. If we're serving the community and serving the poor, that's a a good thing. But that's not the primary mark of maturity that's given us here, is it? If we're doing all those things, but we don't love, then we're doing it wrong. The same guy who wrote Ephesians said as much. If we were to go over to 1 Corinthians 13, you can read this one on your own. He says things like, if I surrender my body to the flames, but don't have love, I'm nothing. 
If I give all I have to the poor, but don't have love, I'm simply a resounding gong. If I have faith that can move a mountain, but don't have love, I am nothing. Love is the mark of a family that's growing in maturity and unity together. Serving the poor, good. Right doctrine, biblical doctrine and understanding of scripture, important, crucial. Serving in the church, crucial. But love, love is what binds that all together. Love is what makes the powers and principalities shake. Maturity in love. There is no maturity without love. Stop, stop, stop. Let me say that again. There is no maturity without love. It doesn't exist and it doesn't unify and it doesn't bear witness to the lordship of Jesus. Love is this mark. Now, Hallmark has stolen the word love, right? And so sometimes we feel like it's a little bit mamby-pamby. A little bit soft around the edges, a little bit gushy squishy. That isn't anything of what love looks like, right? And so what we want to do is we want to take a look here, and this, this final passage we're going to take a look at is going to lead us into understanding what does it look like? How do we interact with each other in a way that cultivates unity, maturity in love, all right? And so as, as we get to this, this next passage, um, and this is where we're going to anchor ourselves uh, for the rest of our time here. It's in uh, uh, chapter 4, beginning at verse 25. And so you'll notice that we, we pass over a, a little bit of stuff there. And part of what Paul is talking about in that part that, that we're not reading right now is he uses this language of put off the old self and take on the new self. Put off the old self and take on the new self. In order to see this happen, we've got to put off the old and take on the new. It speaks of that transforming work of Jesus, that we've got to walk with Jesus, live with Jesus, to see this transformation taking place in our life, to put off the old and to take on the new. All right? And so that's important for us because what often happens, um, I'll do this and a lot of you will do this, um, we come into community having been shaped by a whole lot of different experiences and different lengths of time. Maybe we're shaped by families of origin, we're shaped by um, uh, hard families of origin, we're shaped by the relationships we've had since we were kids. Like we've had these relationships that have shaped us. And what Paul is bringing to our attention here is the stuff we show up with naturally isn't going to get the job done. The stuff that we show up with naturally, intuitively, isn't going to get the job done. And so if we are going to be a community of, that is united and growing in maturity marked by love, then we need to put off the old and take on the new. And here's why this is important. We're going to get to chapter 4, verse 25 here in a second, all right? So just hang with me. Because here's what's happened. It's a story as old as humanity. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. Here's the man and the woman living in Eden, like perfect abundance. God had planted them in this place. Out of God's generosity, they were living in abundance. You can eat from anything in the garden except one tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It wasn't the tree of knowledge, it was the knowledge of good and evil. 
God had designed humanity to know goodness and evil from God, not on their own. And what are we told in Genesis chapter 3? The woman was there, the man was with her. She looked at the fruit and said, the tempter had kind of gotten his atten- her attention there, and she said, oh, that looks really good. That looks good to me. She saw the tree. She saw that it would be good to have the knowledge of good and evil. She saw what was delightful to her. And what did she do? She saw what looked good to her, big sparkly thing, and she reached and she took it for herself. Right? And that's the essence of human sin. And we all do it. We all see what looks good to us and we take it. We see what looks good to us and we take it. And we're even shaped in our relationships to see what we want and to take it. So we want security. And so we manipulate and connive. We see what we want and we take it. We want to be right. And so we take it. I will make you admit that I'm right. You see, we even do this in relationships. And so when Paul says, put off the old and take on the new, what he's reminding us is that which comes intuitively to you, seeing it, taking it, is not going to get the job done. Because that's the old way. Put off the old and take on the new. And so moving from a posture of seeing, ooh, sparkly, I like that, I like it, and I'm going to take it, to a different posture that is shaped in us by the Spirit in the way of Jesus, it's not taking, it's offering. Easier said than done, right? And so let's look. What does this look like? And so Paul gets really uh, clear with us and really specific. And this is why I want to make sure we have context because sometimes we get to these places, in, uh, particularly in the epistles, and um, they're, they're, they can become sort of grocery lists for us of don't do this, stop doing that, and do more of this. And, do this. and so we just kind of take it in as a grocery list. But I want us to understand the context. There's a reason that Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, and the authority granted him by the inspiration of the Spirit, is telling us these things through this writing. Because he's shaping something. God is shaping something in us. And so it's important for us to have that context. All right. So let's look. Beginning of verse... Uh, 25, uh, chapter 4, beginning at verse 25. Therefore, right, because of all this stuff that's been happening, therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all um, members of one body. Now, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may do something to share with those in need. Now, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And I want to read the next couple of verses too. Follow God's example, therefore, 
as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. All right, we're going to go and we're going to take a look at, at each of these. All right, so we're going to kind of work our way through this. Not because it's a checkbox grocery list, but because there's something being shaped here. And, and, and what I want us to notice is the distinction between this seeing and taking and then this offering in sacrifice. So verse 25, right there. Started with, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body, right? So, so while these are good relational principles um, everywhere we go, but he's speaking particularly to what it means to be us as the body, as, as his family, right? And so um, put off falsehood. We, we don't lie. Now, this may ring a bell to some of you. God has said this before. We go way back, flip, 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 all the way back to Exodus and the covenant from Sinai, um, where Moses brought down 10 commandments. Now, Paul is not taking one to one to one to one to one to one on the 10 commandments to this, but Paul is well-trained in Torah. Like the, he was, a, he was a, um, a Pharisee before he was a follower of Jesus uh, and a church planter, right? So he was well-trained, well-studied in the ways of Torah. So as he's talking about living this life, clearly in his mind, there are these pieces. And so when he says, put off falsehood, but speak truthfully to each other, um, perhaps he's hearkening back to another time where the covenant instructions to the nation of Israel was uh, don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Right, we find that in the Ten Commandments. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. And as we look at that, we begin to understand even what's being cultivated here is um, it's not just about, well, I always tell the truth or I mostly tell the truth or things like that. It, it's, it's, it's talking about this character assassination that happens as we bear false witness. When we, when we lie to each other, when we don't speak truthfully to each other, when we deceive each other, there's a, a character assassination that's taking place. Even if we're not talking about somebody else, this character assassination, we don't bear false witness, put off falsehood, but instead speak truthfully to each other. When we bear false witness, we speak falsely, it's taking, right? Why do we deceive? Why do we lie? Because there's something that we want. We want somebody's approval. We want to feel bigger than we are. We want to feel smarter than we are. We want to seem better than the other person. We want to seem like the person in the know, right? All kinds of things that flow out of the human heart, right? This holds up a mirror for us so that we can see our own humanity, the human heart, put off the old to take on the new. What is the old way? Well, I deceive. Just a, a little lie. I'm not talking about Christmas presents and birthdays, okay? Right? That's not what we're talking about here. It's this, this bearing false witness, this character assassination. Remember, we have powers and principalities that want to corrupt and come against us. And what do they do? They divide. When we bring deceit to the table, we participate with the division 
of the family. So speak truthfully to each other. Verse 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. That's a really important uh, imagery there, right? So he's talking about the spiritual battle that takes place. And, and when we hold on to anger in our sin, when we hold on to it, when we, when we nurse it, when we care for a grudge, when we hold on to anger, this sin doesn't just impact, it gives the devil a foothold. And there's different ways we can think about footholds. I don't think Paul was probably thinking about rock climbing when he did this. But, but if you've ever gone climbing or you're over at Evo or that kind of thing, you got the place where you put your foot and you kind of leverage yourself up. Um, it may have had in, in mind here uh, soldiers. Uh, soldiers in battle, particularly if they were creating a, a phalanx around, so they're holding up their shields and they're standing, standing together. Now, if you're holding up your shield and you're going like all prim and proper like this, You've got no leverage, do you? Stuff's going to come against you. So what do you do? You, you get a foothold behind you, and now you can take what's coming against you, right? And so it's about leverage. So what is he saying here? When you, when you hold on to your anger, when you hold on to it, when you keep it, you're giving the devil leverage. The devil is trying to exert leverage against the body to divide, to tear apart, to, to uh, disunify what God has put together. And when we hold on to anger, we're giving the devil a foothold. We're giving him leverage to divide us. And so it says, don't let the sun go down when you're angry. Now, I don't think Paul is actually giving us like the time frame, like this, like it's easier to hold on to anger in the summertime. The sun doesn't go down until like eight o'clock, right? And, and in the wintertime, man, we're on the clock. Like, like, like I got to get that settled before I even drive home. It's dark at four. And so, so, so let, let's, let's take it as, uh, as, as a picture that he's given us here. And what he's reminding us is that the day of your anger is the day of your resolution, the day of your anger is the day of your resolution. Make quick work of it. Keep short accounts. Because what anger wants to do is it wants to settle in our spirit with its barbs. And it wants to hold on. And it wants to keep. And so what happens is an offense settles in. And it does damage. To us and to the body. Don't give the devil the leverage of holding on to your anger. Verse 28. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. That seems, seems right. Right? Like, like, that seems right. That's a pretty overt one. Like, stealing means I see it and I take it. And so Paul is saying, stop it. If you're stealing, don't steal any longer. Got it. But, but listen to this. Listen to this. Uh, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Again, we're back 10 commandments, right? One of them is don't steal. 
In, in a similar sort of way, Paul knew the teachings of Jesus. Do you remember when Jesus would teach? Uh, we call this the, uh, one of these places, the Sermon on the Mount. And so we might hear Jesus say something. You have heard it said this, but I say to you this. And Jesus always got to the heart. Like you've heard it said, um, uh, don't commit adultery. That's, that's right. We've heard that. Don't do that. But I say to you, any man who lusts after a woman has already committed adultery in his heart. Ooh. Right? So Jesus is like taking it to the heart there. Because righteousness, holiness, transformation is more than just our grocery list of do's and don'ts. It's about a transformation of the heart. And so in a similar sort of way, Paul here is like saying, like, he's not saying the words you have heard it said, but, but we could, those words can echo in our mind. You've heard it said, don't steal. So the person who's stealing, stop stealing. Like, right? Stop stealing. But work. Why do you work? So that you can share with people in need. You see the difference? Stealing, I want it, I take it. But instead I'm industrious and I work with the purpose of being able to share. Like that's why we work. Those of you who are in um, workforce, this is why we work. We participate vocationally. We use gifts and skills that God has given us to help bring order to the world. And through what we produce, we share with those who are in need. See, when God's love is activated, it's not enough to just simply not steal but instead be diligent so that you can share because God is generous and we reflect God's generosity. In a society of takers, Christians love giving. In a society of takers, Christian love gives. You see it? Verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Speaking in ways, put off the old, unwholesome, take on the new, benefit and blessing. Right? This is the language of blessing, that our words would carry blessing for others. That's what it means to benefit somebody else, that they would bless somebody else, that their spirit would be fuller, that there would be a richness, a, a flourishing, that our words actually do this work. It says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. A lot of times, um, what we do there is we stop short. We stop short. And so even that language of unwholesome, like that's a, a good translation, don't let any unwholesome words come out of your mouth. But even that word, like unwholesome, it actually feels a little bit wholesome, doesn't it? Like it's not, it's not that big of, like that bad of a word. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Okay. But, but what that word uh, translated could also mean, it means the same thing. So maybe we could use these words instead. Um, rank. Don't let any rank words come out of your mouth. Foul. Putrid. Rotten worthless, disgusting. That's what unwholesome means. Don't let any rank, putrid, vile words come out of your mouth. Right? Because our words do things. We are image bearers of God. That's what we were created to do. And God brought all things into being through his word. 
God said, let there be light. God said, let there be land. God said, let there be a different division between the land and the sky, right? God made it so through his word. And so as image bearers, our words reflect real things. And when our words are rancid, vile, putrid, they steal life from another. But when our words are beneficial, they bless, they bring flourishing into the life of another. And sometimes we might just have this picture that we're kind of talking about what happens when you're driving by yourself and get cut off on the highway. Maybe. Put it in the picture, but let's not stop the picture there. Because there are ways that we use our words that bring harm. And one of those ways... There's actually a couple of words that are important for us. Gossip and slander. In so many ways, in Christian world, we baptize gossip and slander. And we justify it. And we don't easily recognize the absolute harm it does. Gossip and slander has no redemptive capacity at all. It's only capacity is harm. So we talk about gossip and slander. We're talking about sharing news about another behind their back with bad or suspect intentions. Again, there's, there's some, some uh, spectrum here. So it might be just as simple as um, sometimes I actually kind of like being in the know. I like knowing things. And so I kind of want people to know that I know things. And we may go, that's just not all that harmful. If it's not yours, it's still gossip, right? So there we are on the spectrum, all the way to over here of like, I'm actually, I actually am harboring anger, foothold, and one of the ways that my anger is coming out is actually to undermine the reputation of another. And I'm glad that somebody thinks ill of somebody because of what I'm saying, right? And so we've got this whole spectrum. But gossip, slander is the sharing news about another. And slander is when we know it's not true. Or when we haven't even done the work to know if it's true. And again, because gossip doesn't involve the person we're talking about. It's talking to somebody about another. And it has no redemptive capacity. So let's say that, uh, um, Ben, you, you and I are going to have a good little gossip session here. All right? And, and we're going to gossip about Tim over here. Right? And so I'm telling Right? He's got it coming. And, and so we're going to talk about Tim, and I'm going to talk to you about how Tim kind of hurt me. Um, I'm going to tell you about this because it feels good. I kind of want it, like it's catharsis and that kind of a thing. But it's gossip. It's got no capacity for there to be reconciliation with Tim and me, does it? It's just you and I are kind of sharing this thing. And now I've shared this, and now you've actually got some thoughts about Tim that maybe you didn't have before. And you're like, well, maybe Tim is sort of a doorknob. I wasn't sure before. <laughs> But gosh, Matt says this, and that kind of makes me wonder, right? So, so what's happened is it's eroding this relationship, but it's got no capacity to redeem because you go, hey, hey, Tim, Matt was telling me that you're a doorknob, and I'm not really sure. Are you really a doorknob? And he goes, like, I am a doorknob. Oh, okay, we got this thing worked out. And it has no capacity, and it's not doing anything redemptive for this. What is it doing? It's, it's kind of taking that anger. It's taking that resentment. It's taking that bitterness, and it's letting it continue to fester. And now I'm drawing you into the poison of it, right? And this is what happens. It's got no redemptive potential. And so um, 
And, and again, it, it, we follow ourselves along this spectrum, but it's something that we have to participate um, actively to guard against this because these are the kinds of things that the enemy uses to decimate Christian community. Now, how do I know if I'm hearing it? Right? So we're talking with somebody and it just seems like information or whatever. Um, how do I know if I'm hearing it or, or a party to it? One of the questions we ask ourselves, would I tell this or would I listen to this if so-and-so was in the room? So I'm talking about Tim and Ben can ask, oh, um, would I be listening to this if Tim was in the room? Or would I kind of defend Tim and go, whoa, whoa, wait a second, Matt. He's not a doorknob. Right? Or I just kind of live, oh. And, and I go, would I say this if Tim was in the room? Tim's standing right here. It's like, hey, Ben, you know, Tim's really a doorknob. Just for anybody who doesn't know Tim, he's not. <laughs> These are my friends, so I'm kind of using them as examples. You can confront me later. <laughs> right? So we ask ourselves, like, would this happen if this person was in the room? And if the answer is no or even a, eh, Stop. So what do we do if we hear it? Stop. Like, hey, have you heard this about Tim? And Ben goes, hey, Matt, Matt, wait, wait, wait. I kind of feel like we might not go down this road if Tim wasn't here. Ooh. Okay. So something's just happened. One, he's stopping. He's guarding himself. He's guarding Tim. He's also protecting me. Because it's making me kind of go, whoa, wait, wait a second. I'm seeing this. Sometimes I don't like it. Like, no, 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 I wouldn't do that. But inside I'm going, oh, busted. I don't feel good about that because it's touching on my anger that I'm holding on to, right? So stop. Bring the person into the conversation. So Ben might say, hey, this sounds like a really important conversation for you and Tim to have. When are you going to talk to Tim about that? And he might say, okay, well, you've actually got three days. And if you don't, I'm going to. Well, I told you in confidence, I got it. but this is destructive. Like, it's so important for everybody's good. I'm going to do this. So, Matt, you've got until Wednesday to initiate that conversation with Tim. And if you want me to go with you, I'm happy to do that. I want to make sure that we're hearing, um, that everybody's hearing, and that you guys can work on the things that need to be worked on, right? Because he's making sure the conversation happens now redemptively instead of just in this stew that's hurtful for everybody. And then what he might be able to do is, hey, Matt, I actually don't want to talk about Tim right now, but there's something that's coming out of you. Are you willing to explore that? Oh. Right, and sometimes I'm like, look at the time, I got to go. <laughs> or he might be my friend and say, and help me explore the anger that I've been holding on to. That's grown from small offense into great bitterness. And he's doing the work of the Holy Spirit in my life in that moment that I might be free and healthy and whole. And that the body might be built up in blessing, not rancid harm. Thanks for doing that with me, Ben. Appreciate it. Yeah, Yeah, right? We're going to go right there. So you can begin to see how, how easy it is to participate with things that tear down unity. And then he goes right on to say, look at verse 30. He says... And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of When we do this, when we give the devil a foothold, when we participate in this um, rancid speech, we grieve the Holy Spirit. That word is the same word that's used as Jesus is heading into Jerusalem, 
right before his crucifixion. He looks at Jerusalem and it says he's grieved. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if only you knew what would give you peace. I was right here, but you rejected it. Grief. It's the same word that's used to describe the heart of God as he looked on creation, as violence covered creation. Just before he spoke to Noah, who built the ark, and God brought a flood, God looked upon the violence of creation and he was grieved. When God looks upon our gossip, our slander, our rancid speech, the spirit is grieved. He says to us, oh church, Oh, church, if only you knew what would bring you peace. We think our gossip will bring us peace. We think our conniving will bring us peace. We think our taking will bring us peace. But he is grieved. Oh, church, if only you knew what would bring you peace. But so often we choose violence over peace. In verse 31... Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. These are variations of angry speech. Again, anger settles in the heart and it spews out in these ways. And it might seem small, just a small little offense, but a small little offense undealt with festers and grows. Bitterness, rage, and anger. The word translated brawling could also mean clamor. It's like if you think about like the sports debate shows, um, you know, pardon the interruption or something like that, where the guy's just like, got to one up each other. And sometimes we feel like that in our own homes. Like, no, 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 no. And we interrupt and that kind of thing. It's a speech that demands to be heard. That's what brawling is there. I demand my way. I'm using my voice to command. And to take, right? All these things are taking. Put away bitterness, rage, anger, clamor, slander, right? We just talked about this. Malice is this mean spirit or vicious demeanor or disposition. This is what anger morphs into if it goes unsettled. And so what must we do? By the time we get to this, we should be crying out. But what must I do? Like, I know the bitter taste of slander. I know the bitter taste of rancid words. I know the bitterness of anger that fills. What should I do? Is there any hope for us? Verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. As you have tasted the freedom of forgiveness, extend that freedom of forgiveness to another. When somebody has harmed us, we have the human nature right to harm them back. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But forgiveness releases our right to hurt those who have hurt us and puts them in the hands of God. Just as we have been released from our offense against God and have known his forgiveness. The antidote to the anger, the antidote to the rancid, rotten, vile stuff that stews within us is compassion and forgiveness. 
That is the defining characteristic that cultivates love in our life. Because God has first loved us through Jesus. Therefore, we love one another. As we have been forgiven by him, so we forgive one another. Not a cheap forgiveness. Not a quick little wink, wink. Okay, got it. No, you didn't mean it. Whatever. No problem. That's not forgiveness. It's a cheap substitute. Forgiveness looks in the eye, owns what's been hurt. It says, I forgive you, and I refuse to hurt you back. Let them off the hook. And I'm telling you, it's a power that hell just can't explain. Look at chapter 5. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Our forgiveness for each other is an offering and sacrifice to the creator of the universe. Our, our, our work towards unity and love is a fragrant offering that wafts its way into the heavens and delights our Lord. What kind of church do you want to be? What kind of church do you want to be? Sneaky church? Rotten church? A rancid church? Or a church that's anchored in love, whose words pour out blessing, even in forgiveness? A church that learns the way of unity, even in the midst of strife and conflict? We get to choose. Not just me. Not just our elders. We get to choose what church we will be. And he has shown us his example. And he has invited us to his table. And the night that Jesus was betrayed, he sat at the table with his disciples. He celebrated the Passover meal with them. And he wrote himself into the story, his sacrifice, that he would be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so the table becomes for us a place of restoration, a place of reconciliation, a place of peace, and a place of love. So in these next few moments, we're going to come to the table. Okay, technically, the table's going to come to you. But we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. You don't need to be a member of this church to come to the table. There's two ways that scripture challenges you to, to, to be right. One of them is to be right with God through faith in Jesus, that you have experienced his forgiveness, what we had just read about. And if that's you and you are his, then come to the table. The other way scripture challenges us is to make it right together, that we would be at peace not only with God, but that we would be at peace with our brothers and sisters. And as you sit this, sit here for a moment, the trays are going to go back and forth, sit and hold on to it for just a moment, and allow the Holy Spirit to examine your spirit. And you may find yourself with sin to confess before God do that. You may find that you're holding bitterness and anger towards another. That person might even be in this room. That person might be sitting next to you. One of the things that you could do, even in these moments, is you could turn and reconcile and find peace through forgiveness. You might not be able to have that conversation today. 
right now in this space, but you can set your heart towards peace, resolving yourself to do it, resolving yourself to lean in and setting your heart at peace with compassion and grace. And so examine your heart. The team is going to pass the trays. If you'd hold on to the, take a piece of the cracker and the cup and hold on to that a moment. I'll be back in just a minute and we're going to receive it together as one, as the body together. And as Jesus broke bread with his disciples, consider who was around that table. The one who would kiss him in betrayal. And he said these words. The ones who would scatter and run and deny him. And he said these words. As he broke the bread, he said, this is my body broken for you. For you. That you might be made whole. Take it. Eat it and remember him and give thanks. Then he took the cup. He said, this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant poured out for you. Covenant was the way we relate with life and blood poured out was life offered. And he said, drink deeply, drink deeply of this life that only comes through Jesus, the son of God, Messiah. His blood poured out for you that you would be reconciled to God now and forever. Take it and drink it with thanksgiving. Stand and pray with me if you would. Jesus, there's no way that we could repay you for what you have done. There is no way that we could thank you enough but we will expend our lives that you have given us in gratitude for you, in worship for you. Thank you. We remember and we thank you. And as you have poured yourself out for us, we will walk with you. We will expend our lives for your glory, for in that is our greatest good. Shape us, mold us as a people formed in love in the way of your son, Jesus, for our good and your glory, that heaven and earth may know that Jesus Christ is Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A couple things before you go. If you have never made the decision to follow Jesus, but there's something in you that is stirring that you want to do that, our prayer team is going to be right up here. They'd love to talk with you about relationship with Jesus so you can have confidence through forgiveness of your sin and walk in that freedom and be a part of his family. All right, we'd love to have that conversation over here. Another thing too, parents, head on over for the fall fest fun. It's gonna be fantastic. It's gonna be fantastic. You don't wanna miss that. And also, um, at the beginning of our 1045 service, I'd invite you to stick around a little bit, hang out, talk to each other and stick around. We're gonna be um, receiving eight new members into actual membership of our church. And so if you've kind of been curious what that is, maybe you're a member, you want to stick around and be a part of welcoming them into that, would love to have you stick around. So feel free to come in back here at 1045. At, right at 1045, we're going to welcome these new members. We'd love to have you be a part of that celebration. All right? Go with God, walk in his peace, walk in his grace, and walk in the abundance of his love as you go. Thanks for being here. Take a little bit to stop and reflect on what God might be saying to you and how you'll respond to him today. Wherever you are on your journey of faith, we are here to serve you. 
Find us at centerpointnh.org and join us on the journey of living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus.